Another way to learn how to cope with emotions is going to be through vicarious learning. I think we do this really well in watching, observing you know, through different media to model how athletes are doing a specific movement, dribbling skill, shooting technique, throwing technique. Um, we see that a lot, but what we don't see a lot of you know athletes do is model appropriate behaviors that are through well, emotional coping. You know, we see a lot of do uh, a lot of students will do um, different techniques at the free throw line or before they go up to bat. You know, different rituals um, of behaviors. But what a lot of young student athletes do is they adopt. You know what the professionals do just because they do it, but they don't know why. And so, you know what some athletes do is changing what those you know rituals are, those techniques, and they kind of begin to own them as their own. But what we want to do is encourage a lot of our student athletes, athletes to do vicarious learning on modeling appropriate behaviors to handle or cope with emotions. You know, beyond just the basic technique or skills to, to throw the best or shoot the best. Now, another one is going to be self-analysis and actually encouraging our athletes to monitor emotions in the sport, which, of course, increases our self-awareness. So increasing our self-awareness of, of our own, you know, emotions, cognitively, physically, behaviorally, you know, are all going to help when it comes to enhancing our sport performance. You know, later on, I'll be sharing a, in a different podcast how we can specifically do that um, by enhancing our self-awareness. I don't want to go too much into um, specifically. I'll, I'll wait for a later time. Something that we are looking, though, uh, to do and how to cope with emotions is what we talked about last week is goal setting and focusing on achieving specific outcomes, specific task orientations through goal setting. And so utilizing goals to be more successful in the field is a great way to do it. Uh, what uh, two other uh, wonderful things on how we can cope with our emotions is going to be through storytelling, metaphors, and poetry, and then also reframing. Now, what I loved about my high school experience with my coach was for him being a, an old English student, um, where he did his undergrad in English. You know, he did share a lot of metaphors and a lot of things that went over our head as as you know high schoolers, but. There was a lot of different literary techniques that he used to encourage us that we had to consider alternative ways of viewing to deal with the situation. He shared a lot of quotes, you know, a lot of stories, you know, being a cross-country track runner. He shared a lot of stories when we went to camp about famous athletes and famous runners that you know, really changed our perspective of reality. You know, for example, Emil Zetapec, you know, being, you know, the last and only individual that's won the five, the 10 and the marathon, you know, at the Olympic level, something that has not been replicated at all, nor could it really be now in the current situation. But his strategy of how he prepared for winning the 5k, the 10k and the marathon was more of a Rocky four kind of training technique, you know, training in the mountains, training in the snow, you know, barnyard kind of training in comparison to what we have now. And so again, those types of different stories and, and poetry and examples, you know, kind of change that perspective. Now, reframing is another viewing of, you know, important competitions is just, you know, another game, you know, a lot of uh, teams, a lot of athletes will, uh, and coaches are also, you know, 
very uh, very good at this too is applying pressure to a championship game. You know when we really should be encouraging the athletes that this championship game, yes, it's important, but from a play standpoint, it is no different than any other game we've ever played. So trying to reframe and reduce the stressful situation as much as possible will really help. Now, there are some simple things that we can do on site to relax. And those relaxation tips, you know, pretty simple, you know, six easy things that you can do to relax your body, relax your mind, you know, to perform when you feel any form of tension or stress coming on in a situation. The first thing you can do is is smile. I know it sounds weird, but smiling will help reduce that tension coming on drastically. So whenever you feel that tension, you know, either uh, mentally or or physically and in any specific muscles, you know, interacting with specific teammate or opponent or coach, family, just smile. Just smile as you feel that coming on. And secondly, have fun. You know, enjoy the situation. I can't tell you enough now how you know, of course, upset and angry, you know, a lot of athletes are right now with the current situation of the COVID-19 with the coronavirus, um, you know, taking away a lot of uh, people's last years of competition, as many of you know, are experiencing yourselves. But I really look forward to seeing next year, the perspective changes and the care and respect that athletes have, because now they know something like this can be taken away. You know, it's something that a lot of seniors experience when they have career retirement, where they no longer have a place to compete. And they experience that. Right now, we have all levels of athletes, you know, from youth all the way to elite that are experiencing that this situation, this that their game can be taken away. And so really remembering that we get to have fun in this. And I hope that's what we move forward as a, as a country and as a culture that we do enjoy this situation um, and this opportunity to compete at the best level. Now, something that you can also do is, um, especially as a coach and for those athletes that, you know, self-train or, or do that summer training on their own is to set up as stressful situations in practice. You know, that the go ahead statement of all youth of, you know, Daniels has the ball, three seconds left on the clock, you know, he shoots and there's that pause and we kind of create that fun scenario and we can do that in every sport. Uh, but trying to create this such stressful situation in practice, you know, really will help relax the body when that real stressful situation happens in a game when it matters. Now, some other things that we can do, you know, in the immediate is to slow down, take your time. And by slowing things down, taking your time with what's going on, you're going to help stay focused on the present, being where your feet are. Be where your feet are is such an amazing statement and an amazing you know, reminder to your student athletes of being present. You know, it's one thing to say, be present, but that physical reminder to actually say, be where your feet are and actually location-wise, recognize you need to be here. Even though your mind may be wandering, you may be somewhere else, your feet are here. Your feet are not back in your dorm room or in a classroom, you know, or at home in another state. They are right here at this present moment, and you need to be where those are. Can't tell you enough how many times I've experienced both in the coaching world as well as the athlete level, you know, 
athletes come and coaches come to a competition with no game plan, let alone a good game plan, a game plan. So come prepared with a good game plan. And if you are, you know, in a team setting, a team culture, make sure, of course, your coach implements that game plan that all are on board with. And so having a good game plan will help relax um, yourself, your teammates in doing that. Now, when it comes to setting up from a coaching standpoint, just as much as athletes are, are important to have good coping resources, I can't tell you enough that as a coach, how important it is as a coach to have good coping strategies for yourself and for your athletes is vital. As a coach, your athletes are looking to you, relying on you of what is ahead. You know, if you're in that stressful situation of a game, how you are presenting yourself as a coach, how you're communicating, your athletes are going to be looking to you as a rock and being that stable individual. So when it comes to your coping strategies as a coach, make sure you are structuring and planning. You need to plan ahead. You need to communicate with your athletes, with all your coaches, and even sometimes your parents. You need to be managing your time effectively. Now, I bring up parents because... You know, say you're away, say you're traveling and, and one of the parents want to offer a dinner um, to your team. Great. You need to uh, inform the parents exactly what, you know, food needs to be prepared. If any of the individuals have any type of, you know, food allergies and specifics, you need to let all the parents know, of, you know, how much they can be involved or how little, you know, it sounds extreme, you know, to be anal on all these specifics. But when it comes to structuring and planning, you want to try and control all the controllables and allow all the things that are not, you know, to be in the freedom of what's going to happen. Now, when it comes to the basic psychological skills, your goal as a coach is to put all things in perspective, just as much as your athletes may be unaware of themselves and they're learning themselves, you need to assist and walk alongside your athletes and providing them perspective, walk alongside them. That's going to be the biggest challenge as coaches is some of the best coaches not only just walk alongside their athletes, but they don't provide the answer. They help share perspective, give the freedom to the athlete to figure it out themselves. You need to use positive self-talk of a coach and assist the athletes in controlling all the controllables. Now, you know another great thing, and what I've seen um, not just in literature, but as far as uh, you know, some of the best coaches you know, in the world is support. When it comes to being the best coach, you need to surround yourself with the most supportive people. You need to continue to seek advice from other coaches, not just in your sport, but from all sports, all of the coaches in your department. You need to be looking to people that you trust and spend time with your friends and family as much as possible. Can't tell you enough, you know, the importance of time off, of renewal and, uh, distractions, to take time off and to do other things that you enjoy and exercise outside of your sport, to remember what things are about outside of the sport, you know, are vital for your overall longevity of being a coach, but most importantly, remembering and showing your athletes that the sport is not all end all. There are other things that are just as important, if not more important in life than the game or the sport at hand. Now, the other thing, too, when we think about the importance of and the best coping strategies as a coach, the last two being the experience and learning. 
know, you as a coach need to continue to educate yourself. You need to utilize your experiences as an athlete to help decision making and draw on your previous experience as a coach. Now, I share a lot with my current student athletes now, you know, how back in the day when I first started coaching, that some of the athletes I had back then were probably some of the best athletes I ever worked with. The problem at the time, though, was I was a horrible coach. You know, I had great intentions, but I did not know how to properly, you know, implement a full training plan, you know, the full mesocycle and macro cycle, you know, beginning to end. I just didn't have that down. And, you know, in my early years and still to this day, I'm still learning. But those first, you know, many years of my athletes I had were more guinea pigs for my ability to be coaching than it was anything else. And so, you know, drawing on those previous years now, I reflect on those athletes and what I learned from them. You know, I I can't be more thankful for those guinea pigs that I had to be able to have the success that I'm having now as a coach to implement all these new training plans on my current athletes. Because now I have, you know, good consistent athletes, but not as high quality as where the starting point was for my previous you know right now having a lot lower level coming in but as they leave from here a significantly higher you know better athlete coming out and i can't be more thankful of again those guinea pigs those early on athletes i had to to learn from and gain experience as a coach you know to to say profit of you know for my current athletes uh, and their success. And that's what it's all about. Reflecting on what I learned, implementing that on the new, you know, for our my current student athletes, for them to be successful, they would not be as successful as they are if it weren't for my previous athletes to learn from and gain that knowledge from. And even my current athletes still learning so much from, you know, new generation, new group, new group of people, um, new training plans, new things, trying out new stuff. Um, and so continuing to learn from those experiences. At the end of the day, too, um, just being in the field right now, I can't tell you how, you know, when it comes to content and things that we're doing, you know, the peers that I coach alongside, we're all doing the same stuff. We've all been exposed to periodized training and the different techniques and, and all the different things that you could be doing to implement. But none of them uh, when it comes down to team success and individual success are as important as maintaining a positive coach-athlete relationship. Now, you may have some amazing coaches out there that do all the X's and O's perfectly, you know, but can't finish. And what I always encourage as coaches is to reflect on how's your, how's your relationship with your athletes? How are you growing with them? How are you walking alongside them? And making time for your athletes and taking their viewpoint for a little bit and getting to know each one of them is vital for the team's success, for the individual success. And I evaluate that more as a dependency on performance than the X's and O's. You know, just because you're doing everything right on the court or on the field or on the track, you know, X and O's wise, you can be completely missing the mark on your relationship with your athletes. And that is just as important when it comes to performance. Now, just as much as we talk about over arousal and we talk about anxiety, we do need to be aware of under arousal. We want to make sure that our athletes are 
consistent and balanced when it comes to a performance to be aroused and performing at a regulated level of arousal. So something to keep in mind as we go along. Now, if you see any one of your athletes that are moving slowly, not getting set, mind wandering or being easily distracted and and it's hard now because you know as a coach we see a lot of our student athletes you know on their phones um we could see that on our side we don't know what they're looking at on their screen they may be looking at the times or the competitor they might be preparing themselves but we could also take that as oh no they're just looking on social media or they're doing other things or you know i've even had athletes um at one time before a race actually playing Pokemon Go in a park. And, you know, talk about being distracted or not present in the time of competition. So you see mind wandering, you see uh, the individual being easily distracted. Uh, you can even see a lack of concern about how they will actually perform, not even care. Um, we see that, of course, a lot when it comes to track events because, you know, they may have multiple events in one day. And so you could see that they weren't successful in their first event you can ask them about it and they just won't care. They just don't care that they lost or they got last placed, um, you know, in that performance. And so having a few hours between events to be able to talk them through that to get them ready to go for the next, you know, next event. Another piece is actually lack thereof of anticipation or even enthusiasm of being present. You know, not all athletes, of course, with so many things going on may not be that enthused of actually being there. You know, not everyone wants to compete when you're always last or you're not doing well or or the competition is too strong. Now, another sign, and this is one that may not be one you could observe, um, is actually one you're going to have to do more of a Q&A session with your athletes in communication is how they describe their physical feelings. They might feel, you know, heaviness in the legs, uh, no bounce, you know, no flow, that kind of feeling. So those are also levels of being under aroused. And if they're feeling that heaviness in their legs, you know, in warming up, then that's really not going to prepare them, you know, feeling wise um, and emotionally prepared for getting ready to move forward. Now, when it comes to those that are under aroused, we want to induce arousal to get them at their individual optimal level of arousal. We want to make sure that not just individually, but as a team, we are all optimally producing to perform at the best level. Now, we want to do that at the best level, but we also want to make sure that we keep our pep talks and our motivational speeches to a minimum because if you have a few athletes that are already at their optimal level of arousal and we we do some huge glorified pep talk well that's only going to over arouse those athletes it's going to of course bring up potentially those under aroused but it might do polar opposite to those that are over aroused or that are at their current level of arousal so we need to be aware of how much we're talking or those pep talks we need to keep those you know, specific to specific people. So now if arousal is to be raised, it should be done in a very deliberate fashion, being aware of each individual's uh, arousal states. So different things that we can do, we can increase a breathing rate. Um, so increasing the, the pre-game or the pre-competition practice, you know, the drills, the game ready, um, anything like that, that we can do to increase that breathing rate to actually get the body ready to go physiologically. Now, what we can also do in, in emotionally is act energized. You know, you can do this as a coach, you can do this as an athlete, you know, essentially lie to yourself if you're not aroused enough yet and get excited. Now as a coach, you can also use good mood words, positive statements, 
yell or shout, just make sure when you're yelling or shouting that the tone of your yelling and shouting isn't contradictory to the positive statements that you're saying. So just because you're saying positive statements, but you're yelling them and it's coming across the pathway in communication in a negative way, you just got to watch out for that. There are a lot of uh, teams and a lot of courts uh, fields that have speaker systems that will allow the athletes to pick the music that they listen to pregame. You're also seeing a lot of athletes now that headphones are Bluetooth, they can are wireless, uh, they can have those headphones on during you know pregame warmups. There's a lot of coaches that are against you know headphones and allowing athletes to utilize them individually because it shelters one off and it isn't showing a, a good team cohesive you know uh, persona so we want to make sure that you know it's okay with the coach but there's a lot of athletes that use music to induce the right amount of arousal for themselves to get ready and be prepared you're a coach that allows that great what i would do is ask them what they're listening to to make sure that that music is still of course you know good for them to listen to that it's it's consistent you know we want to make sure that they're not changing the music you know all the time you know, what I encourage a lot of student athletes to do is if they are one that needs to listen to music is it's, it is a playlist, it's consistent, and they need to listen to that going to practices and they need to listen to that going to games. Uh, they also, uh, I've seen a few athletes that utilize white noise or pink noise in their headphones. So they're actually not listening to music, but they're actually listening to nothing. And they're just drowning out you know, all the crowd and all the other voice that's going on. And they're just really focusing on the task and the behavior that's being done. The other time is using imagery, you know, in the pregame uh, conversation and, and warm up, you know, as a coach, eliciting some form of uh, energy when it comes to what is going to be done. And for some teams, you can actually utilize a pre-competition workout. You know, if your game or your competition is in, until the evenings, you know, I highly encourage you to do a, a pre-comp workout in the morning. You know, if your athletes are strong enough, they should not be hindered at all to be able to do a small workout in the morning, very minute workout, just to get in the right mindset for the evening's actual competition. So you do that early on, get that ready to go uh, to be successful later. Now, it sounds crazy enough, but there are actual guidelines to those pep talks as I brought up before, you need to be mindful of the how, what pep talks you're using um, and who you're communicating those pep talks to just because you might have some individuals that are already at their arousal state. You might have some that are under aroused. Now, when it comes to a successful pregame talk, there are five main things you need to keep in mind to produce a, a good pep talk. The number one and most important thing is to give them a plan. You have to give tasks and plan that they have to actually implement. And that's going to help you later on when it comes to halftime or a timeout, you know, some form of a session that you can remind them of the plan. Okay. You have to keep to a plan. Second is you have to make them believe that they can win. Okay. Now, it's not lying to them because the third one is you cannot lie. But you have to provide a plan and tasks that if they do those tasks, they can win. So it's connecting those three together. Give a plan, make them believe that they will win. Don't lie about that plan or that they will believe to win, right? You as a person, you as a coach need to be yourself. You have to have your own personality type. 
throughout that entire plan because your athletes are going to be the first ones to know when you're off. You know, if you're not feeling confident about your plan, you need to be yourself. And lastly is to use humor. You know, as I said before, your athletes are going to be looking to you as a rock, as that consistent person, and they're going to be relying on you to be consistent. And if you're coming into this pregame plan, pregame talk with giving a plan, believing that they can win, not lie, and that you're yourself, and you use, utilize humor to really reduce the stressor and the experience, that's really going to create a more controlled environment of what's going on. Now, again, later on, I'm going to talk in a, in a different podcast for this class about enhancing self-awareness and uh, increasing that self-awareness with biofeedback. But just when it comes to self-awareness and arousal, just a few things. One uh, being you have to increase your ability or your awareness of your state, your, especially your psychological states, before you can control your thoughts and feelings. So, you know, what I usually talk to incoming freshmen about is, is hey, you're going to come in and I'm not going to rely on you you know, to be one of our main competitors, what I encourage you to be as a sponge. And I encourage you to be exposed to and aware of, I'm exposing you to all of college running. And I'm going to walk alongside you to get better control of your thoughts and feelings and performance so that in the future, you're going to be successful. Now, once, you know, myself as a coach and an athlete, once we're aware of this individual's optimal level arousal, then can we actually employ arousal regulation? And once I find out where my athlete gets stressed out and to what point I can push them, then can I actually provide reduction or even maintenance and even induction? If someone's overstressed, then I need to, you know, or not stressed enough, I need to induce a level of stress to make this happen. Now, most important thing here, and, and one of my favorite quotes I'll share with you from Jack Donahue, is that we need to remember how individuals cope with anxiety is more important than how much anxiety they experience. Because each of us experience anxiety and stress in different ways, what we really need to remember is how we cope with anxiety is more important. It might be the smallest amounts of stress to me, but it might be the world to someone else. And that's something we need to keep in mind. Basketball coach Jack Donahue once said, it's not a case of getting rid of the butterflies. It's a question of getting them to fly in formation. And I love that quote because, again, all of us are going to experience stress in different ways and in different situations and environments. And how we get that level of stress to be arousal and to fly with us is extremely important because we need to view anxiety and stress is facilitative rather than debilitative. Once you come to a point in your athletic careers and in your personal lives that this level or this situation that you're experiencing that is providing some form of a stressor that's, that's enhancing or increasing stress in your life that's going to procure anxiety, once you feel like it can no longer, you can no longer meet its demands and no longer cope with it, of course, it's going to debilitate you, but even at the highest regard of where you feel overwhelmed, you are still in control and you need to remember that. It's just because it takes over either your cognitive or your somatic so much, you no longer have the resources, 
But again, your anxiety, your stress, it is facilitative. Make sure it doesn't debilitate you. So there are a few anxiety-reducing techniques. I just want to go over a few of these uh, in these techniques, and that's just because later on in this class, we're going to go over each one of these in higher regard and specifics um, as when it comes to performance, anxiety reducing and, and performance is the most important thing when it comes to being successful consistently. So first being uh, a somatic anxiety reduction and one is a progressive relaxation. What is this, this looks like is to learn to feel the tension in our muscles and then to let go of that tension. I love this one just because as Christians, this is so easy for me specifically to progressively relax. And you really feel that in times of prayer, right? Learning to feel the, the tension in our muscles. And I've had so many athletes describe to me, I feel tense in the shoulders or tense in the legs, holding on to so many things as a student athlete. And I think we have such an uh, easy escape as Christians to be able to release and let go of what we may be holding on to in stress, right? And so I've done this many times with athletes as either I myself or they have prayed in releasing that tension in their muscles and um, have felt that warmth and uh, reduction of weight, you know, lifted off of them. And again, I think that's such an easy thing as Christians we can do. Uh, so that's an, a wonderful somatic anxiety reduction just to progressively relax by seeing that same similarity as we're praying and diving deeper in our prayer to reduce these things and giving these things to God, we really feel that relaxation and tension go away. Another uh, anxiety reduction is breath control. And so just breathing techniques. And we're going to do some breathing techniques later on in the class that you will do on your own uh, in, in the safety of your home and, and uh, space, you know, because each of us respond to different ways to relax and, and so giving you guys the tools to be able to do this on your own now when we feel like we're under pressure or intense what we have seen in studies is that our breathing is short or shallow and irregular you know one of these things or all of these things so once you feel a little bit under pressure intense you start to have that breathing you know technique now when one is calm and confident and in control your breathing is smooth, it's deep, extremely rhythmic. Those are the types of, of control we want to have in a situation. Now, the last is biofeedback when it comes to anxiety reduction for somatic. And we want to become very aware of our autonomic nervous system, learn to control your physiological and autonomic responses. We want to receive all these physiological feedbacks that are not normally available to us. You know, usually if we are so stressed out, and our perspective is so wide that we're trying to take in all the different things going on with our you know, fans in the stands, our parents there, our competition being so high, we're not being able to listen to our body of what's actually going on. So we wanna try and get control, get breathing under control, and we wanna listen to what's actually going on in our body to properly change our mechanics, our motor behavior to better perform at the task ahead. Now, we have two cognitive anxiety reduction uh, techniques that we can inhibit to reduce our anxiety. 
One of those is going to be relaxation and help quiet the mind, concentrate, reduce muscle tension. And a lot of the empirical evidence within our field of sports psychology and and psychology itself, you're going to see the key statement of meditation. But us as Christians, I can't tell you enough, meditation, you know, is prayer. And I see a lot of athletes that utilize, you know, prayer before a game and, you know, take kind of a moment of silence to themselves, pray, you know, in their head to God and utilize that as more of a meditation standpoint. The other is uh, another reducer is just more autonogenic training to produce two physical sensations. And that's going to be warmth and heaviness to produce an actual relaxed state. So actually relaxing the body, creating some form of flow and relaxation to warm the body and and actually create a a heaviness and and comfort and anything else. So there's an actual phase process that you can utilize to evaluate an individual and actually stress management training. And there's five phases to stress management training that you can use on yourself. You can um, you be you know unofficial coach and help out a friend or a colleague, a teammate, and something that I encourage coaches to do. You know, as you assess your athletes, this is something that I evaluate. You know, with my athletes unofficially, it's not something that I keep tons of record with, but I do kind of internal checkoff throughout uh, the season, through the years that they're under me, and uh, you know just gradually evaluate. You know, one being a pre-treatment phase. So what you're doing during this phase is actually assessing the individual skills and their deficits. Second, you're going to look at how you're going to actually treat this. So as you see their skills and their deficits, evaluating what it is that you're going to actually implement on them and to treat it. Third, we're going to look at skill acquisition. Now training in either muscular relaxation, cognitive restructuring, self-instruction, you know, I love that about some of my seniors that, you know, I don't need to coach anymore when it comes to competition. I've already, they've already learned all their techniques. They know what they need to do and they can instruct themselves to be successful, you know, when performance is, is ready to go. Fourth is actually going to be skill rehearsal. And you need to do this in competition, in practice, you know, almost every day. You need to rehearse this and, and produce these skills on a daily basis so that, the blueprint sticks for motor behavior. And then lastly, we need to evaluate. We need to sit back down in that post-training after the rehearsal, reevaluate you know, their status to move forward successfully. Now, another anxiety-reducing technique and being our last is something called SIT. This is stress inoculation training. Now, what SIT is, is when an individual is exposed to and learns to cope with stress. Now, this might be through productive thoughts or mental images, self-statements, and increasing the amounts thereby enhancing you know, his or he, her immunity to stress. Essentially, we're looking at an individual's resiliency to stress, how you become immune to it. Now, within SIT, there are four steps to it. Number one, being preparing for the stressor. Two, being control and handle the stressor. Number three, now we want to cope with the feelings of being overwhelmed. And then four, evaluate those coping efforts. So just to give you a kind of example, as we are preparing for the stressor, kind of statements we want to be having 
either as an individual, you know, as the athlete or the coach, we need to prepare for the stressor to come. Hey, it's going to be rough. Keep your cool, right? And we want to keep, as a coach or an athlete, we want to keep the vocabulary consistent. So some key words you'll hear as examples here are going to be very similar to each other, or if not the same. So again, preparing for the stressor, hey, this is going to be really hard workout. This is going to be really rough, but you got to keep your cool. Now, number two, being in control and handling that stressor. So something you'll say is keep your cool since he's losing his, right? This is so easy when you have a competitor and you're going against a, a opposition, right? You're seeing the opposing team begin to lose his cool. Don't follow you know, their, their traction or their movement or behavior, you need to keep yours. You know, if you see your opponent get mad or angry and lose his cool, don't follow suit. You keep to yours. Now, number three, again, being coping with feelings of being overwhelmed, something that you'd say is, hey, keep focused or keep with the game plan. What do we have to do next? Those types of statements and questioning really keeps it to the athlete and keeping them in control. Now, evaluating the coping efforts at the end is vital. We want to have confirmation from a coach athlete and athlete to themselves that they can confirm themselves, that they handle themselves well. So that last statement, just saying you handled yourself well, good job, right on, way to keep your cool. Those types of training with SIT it's really important to do, and that can come from many different situations. That can come from a very short situation. You know, we see it a lot on the male basketball court of physical fights. Uh, we, we've seen it across, you know, different years, you know, years of time that one can be evaluated on this. And lastly is matching hypothesis theory. Now, these this theory is essentially for one to have anxiety management, we should match a particular problem. So essentially... Once we realize and evaluate where an individual has their uh, deficits, we, of course, want to try and reproduce that stressful situation as much as possible to a particular problem. So if we have this deficit, we want to gradually introduce a situation or a problem to show that this athlete has the skills to now match that situation, right? We see this a lot when it comes to... Uh, specific sports like track and field, where we know how a lot of events take place now. We already know, of course, the measurement, you know, being a mile or a two mile or three mile, 5K, um, 10K marathon. But what changes is not just the distance, but how that distance is run, you know, over a certain period of time. You know, we see a lot of 10Ks now that's a sit and kick mentality where, you know, 5.9 miles of it is you know, all together in a pack. And then that last point three, that last a little over a quarter mile is an all out finish. And so it's now about training the athlete for that situation to not be stressed for almost six miles to just go along with the flow for six miles and race for six miles to just finish in that last a little over a 400 meter you know, at a, at a 60 flat or a sub 60 flat in that last closing 400 meter, you know, to kick it in. And that's what we're seeing a lot of racing and we want to try and match and whatever situation your sport is in, we want to try and match the pressure, match the intensity 
uh, match the stress that's being done as much as possible. So we want to increase the cognitive anxiety with mental techniques. We want to increase the somatic anxiety in that situation so we can treat it with physical relaxation. Now, if you're not sure what type of anxiety is most problematic, we want to use the multimodal technique. So we want to try and match it you know, across the board for all things. So to produce some form of maximal anxiety reduction, we want to increase the specific types of social support, you know, informational, emotional, and all these should be matched to a specific anxiety problem. So we want to, again, increase the competitive pressure, the technical problems that they're experiencing. We want to try and cover all of our bases of what the stressor is at hand. And that's going to be our matching hypothesis. Now, this will probably be the longest uh, podcast, uh, podcast episode um, for the remainder of class. And that's just because what the rest of the class is, is exposing each one of these skills that we've shared, that I've shared with arousal regulation. Now we're going to talk later on about um, self-awareness. We're going to talk about sports imagery. We're going to talk about resiliency and concentration. We're going to talk about managing our emotions. Uh, all of these in further detail in separate podcasts um, to be able to, again, each one of you evaluate yourself and evaluate where you stand in a, in managing your own arousal. So where you either come in under aroused or over aroused and what situations come at hand. That's going to be part of your guys' assignments. But then also evaluating what do you need to be more successful in the classroom and the athletic field uh, to be successful. And these are all different ways to do that, either cognitively, somatically, physically, that uh, you can reduce your stress or your arousal to perform at your best. So all things to be considered on that as we move forward in this class is to look at all these different ways of enhancing our performance by these different types of relaxation techniques um, as we go along. So hope you enjoyed this, you guys. I hope you have a wonderful day, and I'll see you in class.